Good morning. Alan and John were, and y- y'all, y'all must have been looking at my notes because a lot of what <laughs> y'all shared was, was really cool. It was, it's a confirmation that God is speaking to all of us. Amen. And you know what I love about the body of Christ? When we gather together, we start off with a promise because he says that when two or three are gathered in my name, there I am also. And that is, for me, it's just always exciting when we get together, no matter how many people are in the room. If I'm together with one other believer who's got a heart for God, I know something good's going to happen. I can, I can sense his presence at a lunch meeting or in a conversation at work or uh, in a room with a thousand people or in a room full of 30 people. It all depends on the condition of the heart and why are we gathered. We're gathered together intentionally to be together in his name. We're gathered in his name. So I want to talk today about the mystery of manna. And I'm going to also start off with going back to the most important parable that Jesus mentioned in Mark chapter 4. Who remembers what it was? The parable of the sower, right? The parable of the sower. Jesus said it. I'm not lying or making stuff up. The parable of the sower, Jesus said, was the most important parable If you didn't understand that, how could you understand the other parables that he would speak? Now, a parable is a fictional story that is told with an intentional moral or point that is being uh, made. So the story of Jesus telling a parable is not a story in the sense that it's like a story that didn't happen. It's an actual account. Jesus, there's a story that Jesus told of Jesus telling his disciples and a group of people in a public setting about a parable of the sower. The sower is hypothetical. Jesus telling the story is not hypothetical. That really happened. And he told the story publicly. And then they had a conversation about it privately. But let me read you what it says in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, they sprouted, they grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Then he said this, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. He's kind of going, hint, hint, pay attention. How many of y'all know what Easter eggs are? In movies. Yeah, those are the best Easter eggs. I like those. Easter eggs and cameos. If you're, if you're any kind of story buff, like if you like Star Wars or, you know, the Avengers or whatnot, the producers, the directors, the writers are always putting Easter eggs, especially in Disney movies. There's things from other movies and other previous storylines that are hidden and embedded in the story that you're currently watching. And there's always this sense of, what am I missing? What do I need to be paying attention for? God does that a lot. And I'm going to, I believe, show you you an Easter egg here in just a moment. But... (laughs) I wanted to point out a couple of key things from the parable of the sower. There are three different parties in the story. There's the sower. There's the birds that come and steal the seed. 
And then there's what Jesus explains later is the person who's hearing the seed is the condition of their heart. And he says that the, seed, the, the birds are actually Satan coming to steal the seed. So you've got the role of three different people. You've got the farmer or the sower is a picture of God. You've got your adversary, the enemy, and then you've got the person receiving the word. It's important to understand your role and the role of the others in the story. If you don't think you have an adversary, does that mean you don't have an adversary? No, just believing that he doesn't exist doesn't mean that he doesn't exist, right? If you don't think that God is real, does that mean he's not real? <laughs> no. Uh, just because you don't believe truth, just because you don't believe that this is God's word doesn't change the fact that it's God's word. It just changes the fact of whether or not it'll be real in your life. But it doesn't eliminate the consequences and the promises that are given within and that are only yours if you uncover them. Okay, so in the parable of the sower, the seed is sown. Jesus, the disciples come to, to Jesus later and they say, okay, tell us what this really means. They wanted to dive in. I had one experience like that where I heard somebody speak and afterwards I, I went and cornered him and said, I got to know more. And it's, it's actually a guy that I work with, but I met him about eight years ago and it was his first time publicly speaking. And it was the last time he publicly spoke too. And he, he got up there and he just, he's, he's known for being very passionate and he, he totally forgot about PowerPoint, didn't even get past slide one. But he basically told everybody in the room, you're going out of business because you're doing things the old way. And if you don't change, it's not going to be good for you or your customers. And you need to get with this new technology. And everybody in the room was just angry at him. But when he walked off the stage, I followed him to the bathroom and waited for him to come out because he is the Steve Jobs of his industry. I mean, he is making world-class innovative stuff. And things that he said eight, ten years ago are now coming to fruition. But that's what the disciples did. They knew that Jesus had said something that everybody didn't catch. And so after the public crowds had displaced, the disciples came and said, hey, we want to know more. Tell us more. That's what we've got to do whenever the seed is sown. And so I talked about, I wanted to talk about the parable of the sower because there's a couple of comparisons between that and the story, the true story of what happened in the wilderness with the manna. But to finish out talking about the sower, another thing I want you to pay attention to is the seed. Think about what is a seed. A seed is something that you can't make. It contains genetic growth and potential to grow. Hannah, you remember what a seed? Remember the story of the seed? We had a big conversation about how a rose comes from a seed, and a seed comes from a rose, and we can't make the seed. We can't make the seed grow, but we can choose to protect and help the seed grow. We have a role to play in the process. We can say yes or no to it. We, we can manipulate it to a certain extent, we can, but we can't mandate it. We can't make God give it to us. We can't make it. We can't create it. While there are things you can't do, that doesn't mean that there are not things that you can do. And so we have an integral, important part to play, and that is the mystery of the seed. Okay? This is one cool thing that jumped out at me. If you think about what was the seed sown onto? The intention was to sow the seed into the soil, right? What does it say in Genesis that we're made of? Dirt. Yeah, not, not technically. Soil is moist. The, the word for dirt in Genesis is, is actually dry dust. But still, it's the same stuff. It's dirt. I just thought that I, I, when I was studying this, I, I thought that jumped out at me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that is really cool. 
even, even within telling a hypothetical story, he's pointing out to his previous work, there's an Easter egg, hey, y'all are dirt, I speak seed, <laughs> y'all are living dirt, take the seed and let it bear fruit in you, right? Okay, so the other story I want to compare it against is the story of the manna in the wilderness. It comes from the account of the Hebrews immediately after they were delivered from bondage in Egypt, and they were, that was when they were technically birthed as a nation. The first temptation that Jesus had in the wilderness, I talked about that in my last message, was the temptation to turn stones into bread. And Satan said, if you're really the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus quoted something from the Old Testament, the story of when God provided man in the wilderness, okay? And so he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And I want to look at some of the details that happened in that story because there's some parallels. And when you compare them against the parable of the sower and the seed, really jump out at you and have a, a deeper meaning. But what I love about that verse and that promise I want to call your attention to is Jesus said, man does not live. Does not. Doesn't say, you, you know, if you don't, if you want to or you don't want to, does not live by bread alone. Bread is a natural substance. He's using a picture. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Think about the word proceeds. Is that present tense or past tense? A dead person could have spoken something, but a live person speaks something. He's alive. He is. Be still and know that I am. He is speaking. So even within that, even within that declaration of truth, there's a promise. I am and I speak. And if you will hear and receive what I say, you can live. If you choose not to, you can't live. No matter how much you think you're living, if you're not hearing the words of God, that's why we are talking. If you're not hearing what I'm saying, you are not living. Life comes by hearing, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. The just shall live by faith. It all ties together. It's all a picture. It's all the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is on display from Genesis to Revelation. It's the same story over and over again, said many different ways. He is, he speaks, we respond, and we live. And we put on display who he is through us. He's a big, powerful God. He could have a kingdom of a bunch of robots. He could make everybody just obey and worship him out of robotic mandate. But I believe what the story of the kingdom is, is he's going to get glory and be put on display by having a, a kingdom of people that love and worship and follow and serve him willingly not out of compulsion, not out of because they're weaker and he's stronger. That's how we do it down here on earth. I'm big, so I'm going to make you follow me. You know, no, that's, that's not how his kingdom works. So turn to Exodus 16, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. This is right after they get out of Egypt, and you've got to think about the details to really grasp what's going on. If you really want to catch the Easter eggs in God's story, you've got to think about the details. Imagine... Everyone in here is somewhere between the ages of 10 and 60, 70 years old, okay? But for 400 years, their entire nation, over a million people, were living as slaves. Slavery is a big deal today. It's a big hot topic. We're still dealing with the ramifications of slavery. Not just against one race. There's slavery going on today in the sex trades and human trafficking. Slavery still exists. But as a nation, we don't know of any nation living completely in slavery to another nation. Imagine what that was like. 
you didn't have ownership over your body and your life or even your family, the state did. And you did what they said. If you didn't like what they said, it was capital punishment, torture, starvation, punishment. Your comings and goings were dictated by another person, by another group of people. For 400 years, that was your identity. Look at the people that have grown up in slavery. or in, look, at, look at what happens to someone who's been in human trafficking for five years. You want to talk about PTSD? You want to talk about stress? 400 years. All of a sudden, within a matter of a few days, they are free. Dramatically free. It wasn't just like, okay, let's have a meeting and y'all are all free now. God had to go to war with the Pharaoh and prove, I'm God, you're not. Get out of my way. And then all of a sudden, miraculously, after seeing all these strange natural you know, um, phenomena, unnatural phenomena happen, then all of a sudden you're walking through basically a bay, an ocean, with walls of water way above your head that when you get through, then your bad guys are following you, and then those walls come in and <laughs> drown them. That was their deliverance. That was the birth of their nation. Then they go for three days' journey to the sin desert, the without desert, and all along the way, they, they've, they've just seen the dramatic hand of God turn them into a nation in a way that they'd never known before. And they've seen God provide and deliver. And now they're hungry and they're stuck out in the wilderness. And that's the backdrop. I say all that to help put some context to what we're about to read. The whole, this is starting in verse one, they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. I guarantee you that is an Easter egg. If you know how to study Hebrew and you understand the dates and the seasons and the signs, that verse right there has meaning because the Israeli calendar, the Hebrew calendar, works on a schedule that's different from ours here in the Western world. That verse has meaning. I say that because everything that God says has meaning. Whether or not we pick up on it doesn't mean that it doesn't. And so we should always approach God's word and what God's doing with a sense of wonder and a sense of respect and a sense of awe and a sense of, I don't know everything. You know, I've told this example before, but there's two ways to go to Disney World. There's one way to just walk around like this. Oh, the lines are so long and so high. Man, complain. And then the other way to walk around is to go, oh, wow, look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, look, there's a mystery over there. Oh, there's a, there's a, there's a treasure hunt over there. Oh, let's go follow these clues. Let's go get in on that. There's, all, there's two different ways to go, and I've seen, both, I've seen people do both. I've done both. The first time I went to Disney World, I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> it's the same thing with God's kingdom. Some people go into God's kingdom not understanding what they're going into, and they, they, they miss. So there, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. God, you're so mean. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food. And when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your complaints. 
which are against him, not against us. Notice it said earlier that they were complaining against the leaders. God takes it as they were complaining against him. What have we done that you should complain about us? Then Moses added, The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all your complaints against him. See, Moses is flipping the script. He's pulling a Donald Trump. What have we done? No more fake news. Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. Then Moses said to Aaron, Announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out toward the wilderness. There they could see the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. See, think about this. This is a progressive introduction of a million people to who God is, who they are, who he's called them to be, what he's destined them to be. He's provided, he's delivered, and now he's going to show up in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it it, it looks like present yourselves. God was saying, all right, pay attention. Y'all wanted to deal with this? Let's deal with it. I'm going to get in your face. That's what God is doing here. He's, he's, he's flipping the script. He's letting, he's letting them know, I am a holy God. I'm not someone to be toyed with. I'm not someone to be disrespected. The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have all the bread you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. It's funny how God says things a couple of times out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. He establishes things. That evening, vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. And the next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew. When the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground. The Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. Why is it? I mean, what is it? They asked each other. And that's the meaning of manna. What is it? They have no idea. They had no idea what it was. And Moses told them, it is the food the Lord has given you to eat. These are the Lord's instructions. Each household should gather as much as it needs. Pick up two quarts for each person in your tent. So the people of Israel did as they were told. Some gathered a lot, some only a little. But when they measured it out, everyone had just enough. Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Each family had just what it needed. Then Moses told them, Do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't listen and kept some of it until morning. But by then it was full of maggots and had a terrible smell. And Moses was angry with them. After this, the people gathered the food by morning, each family according to its need. And as the sun became hot, the flakes they had not picked up melted and disappeared. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. This is going on before the Ten Commandments is going on. A lot of people think mistakenly, that the Sabbath day of rest is a law thing that was instituted only with the Ten Commandments. This happened before the Ten Commandments. Tithing and offerings happened before the Ten Commandments. Don't be robbed with that. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest, a holy Sabbath set apart for the Lord. 
verse 24. So they put aside some until morning, just as Moses had commanded. And in the morning, the leftover food was wholesome and good without maggots or odor. Moses said, eat this food today, for today is a Sabbath day dedicated to the Lord. There will be no food on the ground today. You may gather the food for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. So what do you think happened? Some of the people went out anyway on the seventh day, but they found no food. The Lord asked Moses, how long will these people refuse to obey my commands and instructions? They must realize that the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. See, we don't, that religion doesn't teach you that. The Sabbath is a gift to you. It's a picture of what life was like before the fall and what Jesus would restore after the fall and that we would enter into the rest, which is a person, not a day. Anyways, they must realize the Sabbath is the Lord's gift to you. That is why he gives you a two-day supply on the sixth day, so there will be enough for two days. On the Sabbath day, you must each stay in your place. Do not go out to pick food up on the seventh day. So the people did not gather any food on the seventh day. The Israelites called the food manna. It looked like coriander seed and it tasted like honey wafers. Verse 32, Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Fill a two-quart container with manna to preserve it for your descendants. Then later generations will be able to see the food I gave you in the wilderness when I set you free from Egypt. That's an Easter egg we'll talk about in just a second. Moses said to Aaron, Go get a jar. Do what he said. I'm hyper... I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. Put it in a sacred place so we can preserve it for future generations. Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. Eventually, it was placed in the Ark of the Covenant in front of the stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. So the people of Israel ate manna for how many years? Forty. <laughs> Y'all don't want to eat the same food every day for 40 years? Forty years until they arrived at the land they would settle. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Um, I believe verse 32 is important because not only was there a message for them as individuals in that time, but there was a future message for future generations that could only be passed down if they took the message to heart where they were and esteemed it at that time so that it could be established and passed down to future generations. That's part of the secret of the manna. If you think about the story of the manna and the seed and the sower, Something was provided. It was provided on the ground. Man had a responsibility to respond in a proper way in order to reap the benefits of what was provided. In both cases, manna is a picture. Seeds are a picture of God's word. The kingdom of God works by heaven sows into the earth realm, on earth, as it is in heaven. It's not off earth. Religion teaches off earth heaven one day, on earth as it is in heaven right now. That's kingdom of God. The parable of the sower is not about going to heaven. If you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, you need to hear that part of the kingdom because that's part of it. But then the kingdom has application and impartation for every other part of your life. But we're all responsible for our soil. Are we going to have a hard heart, a hard footpath? Are we going to be like the concrete walkways where plants don't grow? Are we going to be shallow with rocks? Are we going to be distracted with the things of life? Or are we going to be deep, soft soil that can receive the word? Same thing with, this, with the manna. I made this point before that God was using bread to teach the Israelites it's not bread that sustains you. That's how God does things. He uses 
double entendre, double meaning things to say, you know, it's like, like with giving, like John was saying, money is not your provision, so give it. Money is not your source. Don't let it rule you. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. I said it was important to recognize the roles of each person or each party in both of the stories. There's a, a show that, where this character is a, a thief and a, a, a con artist, but he also knows how to do magician's tricks. And in more than one uh, storyline, he makes the point that magicians use the same tricks that thieves do, misdirection and distraction. Keep you focused over here while they pick your pocket. And that's exactly what the enemy does. In the, in the parable of the sower, the enemy was, a, was there to steal, but the enemy also was there to influence through distraction and worries and cares and other things that would choke out the word. The enemy was present in the story of the manna because he had already infected humanity with doubts about God's character and doubts about God's ability and complaining bad attitudes about uh, when God tells us to do something. You know, when God gives us a warning, that's the equivalent of a don't. Like, don't do this. That's dangerous. But he also gives instructions, which are do. And the funny thing is, is if you'll just do what he says, you don't need to worry about the warning because the do includes the don't. You can't do the don't if you do the do. But we can't be deceived into being, A, ignorant of the enemy, our adversary's role, B, our role, and then most importantly, God's role. God is. He's not was. He's not will be. He is. He is I am. He is speaking. We do not live by what he did. We live by what he does and says. We were nourished by yesterday's word, last week's word. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. That is the promise and the inheritance and the hope that we have as believers as we get to hear God speak to us. Pastor Allen was talking about God speaking. That's what I was saying. I mean, there's so many things we're tying in. People that don't know that God speaks don't realize that they're missing out on something that he has for them. But the mystery of the manna is capture the manna while it's there, when it's given. God has a word today. Whether you hear it through me or someone else or just sitting in your chair, every day that you wake up, God has manna. But it only does you good and it only brings him glory if you respond to it. If you don't believe that he is, you won't go looking for what he does. And once you do believe that he is, if you don't pay attention and esteem what he said, you will not establish it in your life or in the lives of those that are to come. Your life is not only about you. We have a responsibility because what we do affects future generations. The picture of God's word, when you hear it, grab it. Don't take it for granted. Don't assume it will be there when you want to receive it. There are appointed times, but those are, not, those are set by him, not by us. Don't think that you can schedule him. It's ignorant, arrogant, and utterly unwise. It's foolish to assume or believe that you can handle the word how you want, when you want. When it's not there, it's not there. On the seventh day, they couldn't go out and say, okay, I'm ready to pick some up. You can't make God's word submit to you. You have to submit to it and the one who gives it. And he is the word. He's the bread of life. These are things that God was speaking to me in prayer, so I'm not just giving us a sermon or a message. This is, this is actually kind of hard to share because some of these things God was speaking to me. 
I'd had a few days where I didn't feel like I was really hearing from God. And then one morning, I just, I got all this download. I was like, oh man, I love hearing your voice, God, like Pastor Allen was saying. His, hearing his voice is so precious. And he showed me that I was deceived in something because I didn't really write it down and take notes. I didn't esteem it. I enjoyed it. I was like, oh my gosh, oh, that's all. Yeah, that's good, God. That's good, God. That's good, God. But then the next day, I could only remember a tenth of what he had spoken. And then, so I started asking him about it, and he, he was showing me that don't take for granted when you're in God's presence, when you're in the mountain time or the glory, and you hear him speak, when, when something is made fresh to you, like that manna in the morning, when it's made available to you, don't assume that it's just going to be there when you want it. Make yourself available to it at the moment that he makes it available to you. To do otherwise is to be deceived. And I was like, oh, okay, God, I get it. And, and so I've been practicing, and I, I, even if I don't take as good a notes as Izzy does, if y'all have never seen Izzy's notes, he's a phenomenal note taker. But I, I try my best to write these things down, and so that's where some of these things are coming from. No matter who or where we are, or what we think of either of those, who we are, where we are, the enemy wants our agreement. He wants our belief to be shaken and stolen. He's a liar, and he can't do anything else but lie. And he knows that the kingdom works off of God speaking and us as humans coming into agreement with what we've heard. So if we're not hearing what he's saying, if we don't come expecting to hear when we're with other believers, we can't agree with what he's saying about our lives at that moment, about someone else's life. Maybe you're not there for you. Maybe you're there to give a word to someone else. We can't agree with him about what he's saying about future generations that will come after us. Adam agreed with Eve and the serpent and disbelieved God. The Hebrew children agreed with lack. If you think about it, guilt and greed are both in agreement with lack. Greed is I don't have enough. I've got to have more. Guilt is I'm not worthy. I'm not, I, don't ha I don't have enough. I'm not worthy. I need more. We can agree with lies. Lies such as, oh, it doesn't matter. It'll be there when I want it. Or laziness, another time. But as we've seen in this picture, the birds can steal, the sun will rise. We've got to receive the word when it's given to us. But if the enemy can get us to believe that we lack, either through guilt or greed or any other extreme, he can deceive and distract us into setting our heart to gain or guard what we never could earn and doesn't really belong to us because we are only stewards. Everything that we have, everything that we need is given to us by God, and we're just stewards of it. But the enemy is always trying to fake news us and reframe what we have or what we don't have and why we have it and what we don't. But again, from Genesis to Revelation, the story has always been the same. God is good. He loves us. He's our father. He created us. He speaks. All we have to do is say yes to him. We didn't need a knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve had a knowledge of good. You don't need to go know evil. Knowing in, in the word, when they say the word no, it doesn't mean like Western, you know, educational. Oh, yeah, I know that. I memorized that in class. It's to know it like a man knows his wife. It's to know intimately. We are susceptible victims to misunderstanding and mishandling our assignment and our talents. But it's only by God's grace and mercy that we even have or can even take dominion or succeed at anything.
if the enemy can't get you into an extreme that you're not worth it and you can't succeed, or he can get you into an extreme that you did it all on your own, either way, he's got you. We don't want to become preoccupied with who the enemy is. That's not the point. When we believe the things about God, we will listen and pay attention. We'll gather the manna when it's given, and we will record what we hear him speak. That doesn't mean everybody can make a memorial and establish things in different ways. But the, the mystery of the manna, again, is that capture the manna while it's there, when it's given. If you are hearing this message and everybody can be on a different end of the spectrum, a different place on the spectrum. We could all be born again, but some of us could have hardness, hard, dry places in our lives where we're not hearing him speak or we're not seeing his life. The message is the same. And I love what John said in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, or was it last week, about multiple conversions. It's a continual process of just saying yes to God. That's our inheritance. That's our legacy. That's what the story of the seed is about. That's the picture that God started. And if you think about it, the Israelites were to be God's nation to go put on display to all the nations what it's like and how it works. To use a very loose example, I'm not being disrespectful at all, but they're like Chick-fil-A. They're showing all the other fast food companies what you can do when you honor God, when you do things his way. Seriously, that's what God was doing with the Israelites. That's at the same time he cared about every little boy and girl and every little household that needed food and family. But at the same time, he wanted to speak to them so he could speak through them to all the nations. So if you're hearing this message and you've heard God speak to you in any way, I encourage and challenge you to say yes and to respond to it. Ask him how you want, he wants you to respond to it. It could be kneel. It could be give an offering to some organization. It could be to call someone up and ask forgiveness or speak a blessing. It could be anything. But the word always requires a response. Always. And that's what the message that God put on my heart for today. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're always speaking. We thank you that we're not orphans. You're not theory. You're not a philosophy. You're not a statue or an idol. You are with us. You're for us. You're not against us. And we have been invited into your family and your kingdom. And just like the seed does not produce a harvest on its own, it may produce a plant here and there. But the mystery of harvest is something that you destined and designed for us to enter into with you. You are glorified when we say yes to the things that you've provided and we ask you what we are to do with them. So, Father, show us where the ground is hard. Show us where we are shallow. Show us where we are distracted. Show us where we've been disobedient or just flat out deceived. And help us to every day, in every way, simply say yes to you so that your word can become flesh in us and you can be put on display and known for who you are, the one true God, the creator of all things seen and unseen, our Father. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.